This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. We're going to study Psalm 95. It it is a, a very good song. It is a very interesting song because it takes a, the only thing I can say is a radical in the middle. And it's not really radical if you understand the principles that uh, are behind it. It's radical because, because most of us don't understand those principles. We don't understand the importance and the import of what we're doing on Sunday morning as far as worship. And when it makes that radical turn, it seems like it's almost a little harsh. Yeah, remember the book of Psalms is a compilation of songs. It's not a, it's not a, uh, and I say songs. It is a compilation of psalms that are songs. And the reason it's compiled the way it is because each and every song teaches something to the Jewish people in song. It is, a, it is a, it is, it is first of all a, a work of of art. It is an artistic work in that each song is something that was regularly worshipped used to worship and has been <clears throat> for thousands of years. It is, it, but it, it, it is also a theological work. And that's what music is for, has the purpose of doing in our worship is it, first of all, it touches the emotional or the emotive part of who we are. And that's why we sing in worship because there's two aspects to who we are, our mind and our heart, our intellect and our uh, passion. And so song touches the passion, but we don't just sing songs that uh, make us passionate about anything. We sing songs that make us passionate about God. And therefore, the songs we sing need to be theologically correct. They need to be songs that, that while we're singing them and while we're touching that emotional side of ourselves and while we're worshiping God with the emotional aspect of who we are, with our passion, while we're doing those things, um, we need what we're singing to teach our passions what is true and correct and, and what is right. And so when, when the book of Psalms was compiled, it was compiled by choosing those Psalms, those, those songs that were sung. It was chosen not only for the quality of the song and the music, and that's important, you don't just sing a song because it's theologically correct. Uh, it could be horribly boring and horribly slow or horribly nothing. It could be artistically poor, but but a song written and, and the music is <clears throat> well suited for the words. And then the words teach our hearts important things. See, all that prepares our mind to hear the truth. It, it cleanses us. It prepares our mind to uh, seek out and hear God's truth. And when these songs were written, they were written in, with intent. They were written by people who were hearing the Holy Spirit, and and they were written by people who were being led by the Holy Spirit to uh, not only write things that are of passion, 
but things that would teach our heart and our mind theological truths. And so as we go through, so you do need to understand that this is something that that has stood the test of time. It stood the test of time before it was compiled into the book of Psalms. And then obviously since then, it is it has stood the test of time. And it, Psalms is one of the most beloved books in the Bible. And obviously it is something that is a very great importance. So when we have an understanding or idea of something or something seems very different or strange, or maybe it makes you go, huh, I wonder why that is. You need to focus in on that. Anytime that happens in scripture, you need to focus in on that because usually that's something, uh, a, a hidden gem or a hidden truth that God has opened up to you and allowed you to see as you mine his word and you as you mine, mine the truth out of his word. It says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Obviously, that's a great opening. And if you, if you think about it, there's a lot of songs that start with something very similar to that about calling God's people to worship. That, that's basically what that whole line is. We're calling you to worship. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us, let us sing together to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Notice, notice the uh, singing is supposed to be corporate and notice the singing is supposed to be initially for sure full of joy and thanksgiving. That's why he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Worship should be joyful, even in the midst of great sorrow. Worship should be joyful. Because remember, the sorrow of the moment does not outweigh the joy and the goodness of the eternality of God. And understanding that and seeing that is of great importance. The sorrow of the moment is never greater is never even close to greater than the than the joy and the uh, exuberance and the power and the grace of an eternal God. And so he says, let us shout joyfully. Let's be joyful about it. He says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Notice, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. This is another psalm that emphasizes that. We come with praise, we come with joy, we come with thanksgiving. We come prepared, our hearts prepared to focus on God, not ourselves. He says, let's come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let's, let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Notice, what are we doing? How, it's prescribing what you do in worship. And, and one of you things you do is notice they're shouting. Can you imagine? That's irreverent. No, it's not. It's not irreverent. In fact, it's what God asked us to do. He asked us to be, to shout with joy. You say, well, that just doesn't make me, that makes me uncomfortable. That's not my style. Well, that's why we come to God so that we can be uh, changed into the right style, not the wrong style. I, I think that's very important for you to understand. If you're coming to church so that God can make you comfortable where you're at, you're in the wrong place. God's not there to make you comfortable where you're at. That, if you were at a church where they make you comfortable where you stand, well, then you're in trouble. And that church is, I know most of the pastors and ministers and pastors of worship and worship leaders that I know, they're not interested in making you comfortable. And if church is about making you comfortable, well, then you're never going to be changed. And then that means we're not doing our job making disciples because dis disciple making is, is an uncomfortable process where God changes us. It's called salvation. It's called sanctification. By the way, shouting to God is something that he not only likes, quite apparently he wants. He says, let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God. Notice, obvious, 
There's a reason why we shout for joy because God's great. And therefore, if you don't shout for joy, you must not think he's great. That makes me more uncomfortable. Good, great. I, I, I can't overemphasize that enough. Uh, a, a passionate heart for God is going to be, is going to sing loudly, is going to sing with joy and thanksgiving, is going to seek his face with wholeness. And you know what? You may even do a little shout. He says, for the Lord is great, is the great God and the great king above all gods. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. What he's saying is the reason we're going there is so that we can be fully and completely in his hands. And in his hands are the depths of truth in the earth. You won't find those truths outside of him. So you got to be able to will it, be willing to be uncomfortable to come to him so that he can teach you those depths. So they put those depths, the, the deep things of who he is in your mind and in your heart in the midst of worship. He says, um, his hands are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. So the depths of pain and suffering and the heights of elation and, and joy all those things are right there in his hands and he holds them and he guides us through them. He says, the sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Notice, now if you want to go with pictures here, he's talking about the Gentiles and the Jews. Dry land, the land is the Jews and the sea is the Gentiles. He said, basically he said he made us all. He made us all and, and he, formed, he formed us all and he has purpose for all of us. And in and, and verse one through five, wow, that is a, that's, that's an exciting picture into what worship is and what the purpose is for worship and why we do what we do when we worship. He says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Now, I know you've heard that in Psalms. I know you have. It's been in many songs from old uh, hymns that you've sung for a long time to new worship music. He says, oh, let us come and bow down. That idea of prostrating yourself, that idea of getting down on your knees or on your face and worshiping him, that idea of doing that is a strong biblical idea. In fact, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the words for bowing down or getting on your face before God Proskunu in the New Testament, and, and my mind's going blank. It's not, it's, it's not yada. It's not, it's, I can't remember the word in the Old Testament, but both of them are translated worship. Both of them are translated worship. And according to God, the worship that he desires is for us to come in with joy. The worship is for, for that he desires is for us to come in with passion and, and excitement. The worship that he desires is for us to bow down before him and recognize who he is and his truth. Because once you recognize who he is, bowing is an is a element of fear. Bowing is an element of reverence. If you want to be reverent, be reverent on your knees. If, if you want reverence and worship is found on your face before God, that's where reverence is. If you're going to use the word reverence because he's, he is a terrible, he, he, how, he is powerful and it's awful to fall in the hands of an angry God. If that's what you're looking for, because that's what the word reverence means. And that's what the word reverend means. That's why I don't like being called reverend. If that's what you're searching for, well, then that needs to be done on your face. But I've always noticed the people who want to have reverence and worship, they sure don't want to get up there on their knees 
before God. And the reason is because they're not willing to come in and worship, come in and shout, come in with joy, come in with thanksgiving. And therefore, they never, ever actually get to the place where they're on their knees before God in his presence, in his place, in his hand, knowing the depths of who he is and the heights of who he is. They don't never get, they never get there. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Notice the reason we're doing that is because we are his. The reason we're doing these things is because we are his. Now, understanding you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God with your physical worship. We are his. The reason we do that is we're his. I found that most people who don't want to do that don't want to be his. They don't want to give up their control of their life and allow him to be in control of their life. That's just a, that's not a secret observance I've had of people over the years. That's just an obvious and straightforward observance. Those who don't want to be in God's presence tend to not be. <laughs> and those who come in and, and God's people are actually searching after God's presence and they see that, they don't want to be around that. They just don't want to be around it. That's just the way that works. And no way to get around it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to not do what God asked of me to do in worship so that someone else can be comfortable in worship. It's not how it works. Worship is for the saints and the saints need to do what God asks and seek his face in the way he requires, not in the way I want to. And, and that's just as straightforward and to the point as I can possibly be. He said, now here's where it makes a, the psalm makes a huge turn because what I just talked about is what God asked us to do. And then the psalmist himself makes the turn that I've been talking about for the last few minutes. He makes the turn of describing or a description of those who do not want to do that. He says, today, if you will hear his voice, and that is, when that phrase is used in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, it is speaking to those who are on the edge and they don't know whether they want to do what God wants them to do or not. That phrase, today, if you will hear his voice, that phrase is a, it's a sober phrase. It's a sobering phrase. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a direct, uh, confrontation of your, uh, sin nature. And it, it, it is, it has, it has great, it, it has gravity to it. He says, today, if you will hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That is speaking of when they were in the wilderness and they refused to listen and do what God said. It's hardening your heart as in the rebellion. You were, they refused to enter into the promised land. They refused to go where God told them to go. He led them out of Egypt to meet with him and to enter into his rest, to enter into his promised land. And they refused to go in because they were fearful because they were um, comfortable in the wilderness, being fed each day, being clothed by God, being taken care of by God, and they were not willing to go in and take God's best, which require us to join God in the work that he's doing. They refuse to do that. It is called throughout scripture, it is called the rebellion. And the rebellion is, is a state of heart. It is not just the actions that follow, Remember, the actions are just the result of what the heart uh, is doing and desires. And so he says, Duke, if today, if you hear 
my voice. Do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. He's just been talking about worship. So what he's saying is, is harden your heart and not willing to worship God and seek his face like he, he's asking you to do is rebellion. Is it not? You tell me. It's quite obvious through scripture. He makes this harsh term because it is written to those who said, he's saying, let us come and worship. That's how it starts. Come sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. He's a call to worship. And then in that call to worship, he goes through all the depths and and the joys and, and, and the passion of worship. And then also in the in, in being subject to God and his power, his authority and, and prostrating yourself. It's laying your out, yourself out before him. That going on. And then boom, he goes, he, he talks about uh, being his people and we are owned by him. And then he says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me. Notice, how did they test God? They refused to do what he said. He said, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. Notice, they tried me even though they saw the work of my hand at work around them. They refused. They saw the, the plagues of Egypt. They saw the Red Sea parted. They saw the pillar by pillar, the cloud pillar by day and the fire uh, by night, which led them through the wilderness. They, they saw the manna from heaven. They saw the water from the rock. They saw the thunder and the lightning and, and the fire on the mountain in, in, at Sinai. They saw the Ten Commandments. They saw God destroy those who attacked them in the wilderness, destroy them in battle, in mighty battle, and in which they lost very few people. They saw the work of his hand. And what did they do? They tested him and refused to do what he said enter into his rest, enter into his promised land, enter into his best, enter into his goodness. They refuse to do it. He says, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. He says, for 40 years, I was grieved with that generation. So what was the result? That generation stayed in the wilderness. They stayed out, outside of God's best, and God waited till they were dead before he took the next generation in. And sadly, that that process is continual and goes on to this very day. He says, for 40 years, I was grieved at that, at that generation and said to its people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. Notice, they do their ways, not God's ways. They do their ways and not God's ways. And I think that's clear biblical understanding. They do what they do. They do not do, not do what God does. He says, and they and said, it is, the, it is the people who go astray in their hearts and they do not do, they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath that they would not enter. They shall not enter my rest. What God said is, I said, they're not entering in. They're not willing to do it my way. You don't get in. And that's an important principle from scripture. And, and it's an important principle for you to understand is that, God has his ways and his ways are the perfect and the best ways. His ways are good and pleasing and perfect for us, but his ways are, are the only way. You following me? A lot of people say there's many ways to have another not. Only one way in, that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said it in himself. You say, Jesus was a good man. He can't be a good man and lie to you and say that there's only one way in if that's not the only one way in. And I'm telling you, he is the only way in. He's the only way in. 
And there's only one way to do the things that God has for you to do in your life, and that's his way, not your way. And learning his ways and learning what he has to say and learning what he's doing is a part of becoming who we ought to in the kingdom of God. Let's just face it. That's what we're doing. We're becoming who we ought to in the kingdom of God. And and I would say to you this morning that if, if you're on the fence about choosing God's ways or man's ways, choose God's ways. If you hear his voice today and you've been struggling with whether or not you want to actually enter into his presence and enter into his goodness and enter into his best, I would encourage you to enter into his best. It is where it is where life is really found. And otherwise, there's just nothing. Otherwise, you just live in your own death. And let me tell you, I, I, I even as a believer, I've I've gone into the far country, lived my own way, and done my own thing, and lived according to my own will. And it never leads to the best. It only leads to more fear, more doubt, more frustration, and ultimately. It, and ultimately, it leads to pain that was not necessary had I not gone my own way and had I chosen his way. So I'd say to you today, choose his way. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. Be willing to uh, be joyful in front of him. Be willing to be thankful. Be willing to be full of praise before him. And also be willing to be humble before him and bow down. And so let us be humble <coughs> and bow down before him. Let us be real with him so that he can be real with us and allow us to enter in. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus name.